Tonight, straight from the source, Donald Trump on the brink of losing his real estate empire after a judge effectively branded him a fraud and exposed a decade's worth of financial lies. The prosecutor who kicked off that investigation is here with me tonight. Plus, the U.S. soldier who mysteriously bolted over the border into North Korea is on his way back to the U.S. right now. Even more puzzling, why Kim Jong-un let him go? And after more than six years in NFL exile, quarterback Colin Kaepernick now trying to get back in. But will the New York Jets pass on his Hail Mary? I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Donald Trump has just lost another legal battle tonight, as he is also on the cusp of losing what's at the heart of his entire identity, his business empire and his brand. First, on the legal front, the judge who is overseeing his federal election interference case has denied his demand that she recuse herself from overseeing that case. Judge Tanya Chutkin deciding that, quote, it is not warranted after the former president claimed that she wanted to see him behind bars. Meanwhile, tonight, Trump is calling for a different judge, the one here in New York, to, quote, be stopped. The judge found that he and his two adult sons were liable for fraud, saying that they massively overvalued his assets deceived banks and exaggerated Trump's net worth in making deals and securing loans. Essentially, he's not as rich as he claims to be, and his property is not valued at what he said it was. In his first hearing today that happened since this ruling came down last night, Trump's attorneys seem to struggle to even understand the implications of what the judge's call means exactly here. One of Trump's attorneys actually asked the judge to clarify, what does this ruling mean for his businesses? The attorney asked another question, one that's pretty fundamental, it seemed to be. What's the point of a trial at this point, given this ruling? Well, that trial is set to begin on Monday, but what is still at the heart of the question here and what this ruling from the judge could mean is whether or not this is the beginning of the end of the Trump real estate empire. And let's go straight to the source with former Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance, who was the first to get Trump's tax returns and then turn them over to the New York Attorney General, essentially kicking off the process that ultimately led to this ruling. And he joins me now. Uh, thank you so much for being here. You know, we haven't heard from you yet uh, on this ruling at large. What was your reaction to it? Well, I wasn't surprised by the ruling, uh, having litigated against the Trump team and its lawyers and its tactics. Uh, I wasn't surprised by the sort of strong statements by the court uh, about uh, the tactics and, and, and the like. But my reaction is that uh, by granting partial summary judgment on some of the liability issues, uh, it's going to be a very up, uphill road for the Trump legal team as we get into next week's trial. Uh, and obviously, the consequences of uh, perhaps uh, decertifying the Trump organization, affecting its ability to operate in New York, uh, is a you know is a major consequence, at least I believe, both practically and I think optically, uh, for the Trump organization as it heads into this litigation-heavy year uh, coming up. So, I think the AG's trial will be fascinating. Uh, I think the case that she has built it was a, very similar to the case that we were building uh, uh, at the end of my tenure as DA. I think it's, I think it's strong and uh, I think they've done an excellent job. Do you think that this could be the end of the Trump organization as we know it? I'm sure that there are people in the Trump organization and in law firms around New York City trying to figure that out right now. I wouldn't, 
I, I'm not, I wouldn't be give such a dire conclusion. Um, uh, but I do think that uh, the Trump organization, based on the indictment that we brought in Manhattan uh, in 2021, uh, has been convicted of numerous serious financial crimes. Uh, now we have another court ruling which uh, impacts their ability to operate in New York. So uh, the, you know, the walls are closing in uh, on the Trump organization in a way that it has never experienced before. And, uh, and, and now as we move into this, I think, very strong civil trial, uh, there will be much more information that comes out uh, about the Trump organization that yeah. predominantly will be negative and will uh, impact uh, the regulators and others deciding on how to manage uh, the Trump organization's uh, operations in New York City and elsewhere. As you mentioned, this is a civil trial. Should this have been charged, though, as a criminal case? Well, it was very similar to the criminal case that our office was investigating at the end of my tenure. Uh, we, as I say, we got the Supreme Court from the Supreme Court uh, favorable rulings uh, on the fact that no person, even a president, is immune from investigation, which led us to get the tax records. And within four months, the organization, Trump organization, had been indicted along with the CFO. Uh, we then moved into an economic investigation phase, which I brought Mark Pomerantz in uh, to lead. And I felt the case Mark was building, uh, quite similar to the one that the AG has built, uh, is, a, is a strong case. It's not that it doesn't have uh, challenges. Uh, it's a complex case. It's a historical case. It requires jurors understanding real estate valuations, which isn't rocket science. But nonetheless, uh, it's, not, it's not an easy case to present, but I think it's a strong case. And, and uh, I, ultimately, my successor, uh, and I'm not second guessing him, but my successor uh, decided not to proceed uh, with the case that we were building and to proceed instead on a case involving hush money payments. Would you have charged it as a criminal case? Well, I, as I said before, I, I think the case should have, I, I would have hoped the case had continued its investigation and completed the investigation uh, to the point where a grand jury had all the evidence in and we could really see exactly uh, what the evidence would be. So I was, I, I, I felt strongly that the case uh, was going in the right direction and was potentially a strong case. Uh, so I would have continued the investigation to to the next stage before making a decision. Well, but you can see this, you know, pretty exhaustive ruling that we got from the judge here. It has these very specific citations in it. I mean, when you look at that, would you have, have charged it as a as a criminal case? Well, I, I you know, I, I basically given more Pomerantz and our team uh, the go ahead uh, to move to the next stage of the investigation, so this is, which is you know, without going into exactly what uh, evidence we had before the grand jury, Caitlin, uh, I was, as I said, I thought it was a strong case and, uh, and thought I brought in the right team uh, to manage it. Uh, I think the, you know, the, the property overvaluations are, uh, you know, were very clear and, and clearly the judge in New York uh, gave short shrift to the Trump organization's attempts to redefine those valuations as reasonable. Yeah. Uh, it I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it does sound like that seems to be a yes that you could have seen it being charged as that. <laughs> you know, Trump's attorneys seem to be struggling with what the implication of this is, what this even means. Do you think that this ends up stripping Trump of, of control over his signature properties here in New York? Could we see, you know, his name taken off Trump Tower ultimately as a result of this? Well, I, I you know, if you're if you if you're company essentially loses its license to operate in the state, uh, it, abs it absolutely could lead uh, to uh, the Trump organization not being able to operate as the Trump organization in New York. And of course, the Trump organization is 
Donald Trump's alter ego. It's how he defines himself to the world as a successful corporation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, you know, the air out of that balloon has been is, is happening quickly uh, with uh, the series of first the conviction of the corporation for financial crimes in the Manhattan, from the Manhattan DA's office, then the four separate uh, criminal charges and, and uh, indictments, which are all serious, uh, and the AGs beginning a trial where the judge has, after exhaustive discovery, predetermined that many of the issues the Trump organization was fighting are, were both frivolous and, and wrong. And I think the AG goes into this case uh, with the wind at her back based upon a lot of great work that that office has done off, and, and, and privileged to be in partnership with, with them in doing that. Yeah, I mean, um, so okay. I, I, that's where we are today. Given that, I mean, Trump's attorney asked a question today, which is, you know, what is the point even of a trial anymore? What do you what do you think of that question? Well, there are unresolved issues, uh, damages. There's 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 lots of unresolved issues. It was not a uh, the judge did not decide all the legal issues uh, in the case. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the Trump lawyer said, but I'm I, I I don't think that what he would be implying is that they should throw in the towel. And uh, I, it seems like they're fighting every issue, uh, apparently also suing the judge. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that comment. Yeah, I mean, Trump's been uh, attacking the judge here. Obviously, that's not a surprise. He's upset that the valuation of Mar-a-Lago was at $18 million. He says it could be a 100 times that. But uh, I'm not going to ask you to evaluate the property value of his uh, beach club in Florida. But, you know, you brought up the judge here. The judge in a separate case, and I know this is something that you've weighed in before, Judge Chutkin in Washington, who is overseeing that election obstruction case, has just ruled tonight she is not going to recuse herself after Trump wanted her to do so from that case. She said, quote, um, that the court has never um, essentially been able to prove that they that she took this position that they said she did, that Trump should be prosecuted and imprisoned. That, those were his claims. What did you make of her ruling tonight? Well, well, Caitlin, I think what the judge is doing is respectfully saying, Donald Trump, you're not controlling this courtroom. Uh, I am. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that her ruling, if he is convicted, I'm sure that ruling will be an issue on appeal. Uh, but I think, um, you know, I, I think the judge is, is obviously a very smart, very strong, very experienced judge. And I think she's, she's saying, you don't get to knock me out of this case just because you don't like me. Uh, and she's laying out the list of reasons why Trump is wrong uh, in his legal and factual analysis. And she's, she wants the case to move. And this is the biggest challenge I think all these judges have is is controlling uh, the Trump legal team and and Trump himself uh, from trying to from disrupting the proceedings both outside the courtroom and uh, and inside the courtroom and she's saying enough we're going forward yeah quite a quite a decision Cy Vance you are, truly have unique perspective on this like no one else thank you for your time tonight thanks Caitlin take it easy. Seemed quite clear from those comments that the former Manhattan district attorney believed that this could have pursued the criminal case route. We'll stand by for legal reaction to that. Also up next, Trump is attempting to counter President Biden's historic trip yesterday to the picket line in Detroit. Also trying to counter program Republican rivals. Also, two men from two very different worlds getting another man's deepest sympathy. We're covering both of their struggles tonight. There are two people 
that I feel really sorry for these days. Aaron Rodgers and Kevin McCarthy. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Tonight, former President Trump is in the suburbs of Detroit, pitching himself to current and former union members there amid the auto workers' strike. But it's important to note where he is speaking at a non-union auto plant, going off against President Biden following his historic visit. He wants electric vehicle mandates that will spell the death of the U.S. auto industry. You know, it doesn't matter. I want you to negotiate a contract. You're all on picket lines and everything. But... It doesn't make a damn bit of difference what you get because in two years you're all going to be out of business. Did not take long for the Biden campaign to respond to those comments from Trump saying soon they would be out of business. In response, the campaign said that those comments were trying to distract from Trump's quote, and I'm quoting the Biden campaign here, failed track record of trickle-down tax cuts, closed factories, and jobs outsourced to China. Despite Trump's pro-worker claims that we have seen recently, his record as president says otherwise. Of course, Trump appointed members to the nation's top labor board that rolled back pro-union policies. In 2018, he signed an executive order that made it easier to fire unionized federal employees. And he also announced shortly after that that he would cancel their pay raises. Also, Trump told residents in Ohio this after promising to keep a major auto plant there open. Those jobs have left Ohio. They're all coming back. They're all coming back. Coming back. Don't move. Don't sell your house. That was July 2017. Two years later, GM shuttered that plant despite Trump's direct calls to the CEO and his attacks on that company for closing those plants. Let's discuss more of what we are seeing happening tonight with two political veterans, Van Jones, a former Obama administration official, and Scott Jennings, a former senior advisor to Mitch McConnell. Uh, I mean, Scott, as we're seeing Trump there, you know, he always has kind of tried to have this mixed signal that he sends to workers, you know, criticizing the union leader, saying to the union employees, I'm with you. Given that President Biden, though, was just there. Mm saying, yes, I agree with your demand for a 40% pay increase. I mean, can Trump go there and not really pick a side? Well, what Trump has always tried to focus on are non-college working class voters. Mm -hmm. He does very well with the uh, blue collar non-college segments in a lot of these states, including a lot of the people who uh, he spoke to today and who Joe Biden probably met on the picket line. I guarantee some of them voted for Donald Trump. And so I think he's trying to continue to see if he can expand on that. Now, some people think he's maxed it out, that he's he's done all he can do among that 
segment. But I think the Trump campaign is hoping that uh, because Joe Biden has such low marks on the economy, because a lot of people blame him for inflation, because a lot of people are upset with the Biden administration on the electric vehicle subsidies uh, and threatening their own uh, livelihoods, that he can maybe inch it up just a few points and a few points in any of these Midwestern states could be enough. Yeah, it certainly could. And we talked to Secretary Walsh last night, who was Biden's former labor secretary, he said they're not taking that for granted. The Biden campaign, though, is clearly watching all of this closely. I mean, they immediately responded to what Trump said tonight. They also, Van, put out a new ad tonight. I just want to play part of what that ad looked like. He says he stands with auto workers, but as president, Donald Trump passed tax breaks for his rich friends while automakers shuttered their plants and Michigan lost manufacturing jobs. Joe Biden said he'd stand up for workers and he's delivering, passing laws that are increasing wages and creating good paying jobs. Manufacturing is coming back to Michigan. Given what Scott pointed out about, I mean, how voters do really feel about Biden's economic policies, at least. I mean, how does an ad like that work? Is it effective? Well, I sure hope so. It's a tug of war. Uh, we're in this big labor renaissance, this big labor upsurge. You got, you know, uh, people uh, on, on strike now coming to an end in Hollywood, all across the place. Labor is on the march because there's a sense that the rich folks have taken too much and working people have gotten too little. And for the first time, you're seeing a Republican presidential candidate and a Democrat president candidate going directly, and you haven't seen this for a long time, directly for union voters. Mm. You, you, you rewind the tape when Biden was running for vice president uh, in 2012. You know, Mitt Romney wasn't out there saying good stuff about unions. It, it was literally uh, the Republicans were for business and Democrats were for labor. The problem is that Trump has tried to scramble that egg a little bit and it's forcing a Biden to do more than he might have done. But I think Biden is, is more credible as somebody who stuck up for, for, for labor unions and somebody like Donald Trump, who stiffed unions, who stiffed contractors, who stiffed working people his whole life. I think Van makes a great point about the anti-corporate nature of mm -hmm. both campaigns' pitches. You've got both Trump and Biden, and really both parties right now, uh, seeming to go out of their way to side with labor here. Uh, and the, the corporate interests, you know, the, the companies that, <laughs> that make the vehicles seem to have no allies right now in the political system. It, it's amazing. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, well, it looks like the Democrats are socialists, the Republicans are now Democrats, and the conservatives are, I'm not sure what they are. <laughs> and so you just see the whole the whole yeah. thing moving to the left right now. It's yeah, crazy. It, is, it is fascinating to see how that's changed and how Trump has changed that nature in his own party. Uh, another thing, and this is on an entirely different subject, but something that has been, we've been talking about here on The Source, which is Trump's claims about General Mark Milley, the soon departing uh, Joint Chiefs chairman, Trump had basically implied that he had committed treason because of phone calls he made to, to Chinese government officials. He, General Milley, is responding to this for the first time tonight. This is what he told CBS News. As, as much as these comments are directed at me, it's also directed at the institution of the military. And the American people can take it to the bank that all of us, every single one of us, from private to general, we're loyal to that constitution and we'll never turn our back on it no matter what, no matter what the threats. The former commander in chief seems to be calling for your execution. Are you worried about your safety? I've got adequate safety precautions. I, I wish those comments had not been made, but they were, and we'll take appropriate measures to ensure my safety and the safety of my family. I mean, it's kind of insane that the Joint Chiefs Chairman has to respond to something like that from the Commander-in-Chief who picked him and put him in that position. Yeah, no kidding. I, I see, though, a larger issue here, and that is just the constant attacks on the leadership of institutions while simultaneously telling the rank and file of those institutions, I'm with you, you know, your leadership has failed you. You see it with the workers, 
in Detroit. You see it with the military. You know, Trump has talked constantly about how he's pro-military and he's pro-soldier, but he's constantly attacking the leadership. It, it, it's 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 uh, he's he senses that institutions in the United States are so weak right now and people are so ready to believe that the leadership of those institutions have failed. And I see this is going to be a constant campaign strategy. What do you uh, make of that? And this moment overall? Well, I mean, it's just chilling. Uh, I mean, if this were some other country and you had a former uh, president or prime minister or, or somebody who was calling for the execution of the head of the armed forces, you say, that country is in deep trouble. You say, that is highly unusual, but this is the United States of America. So I think it's, I think it's chilling. Um, and also, you don't usually see a general uh, blink the way he did. You know, he said, I have adequate, it was deadpan, I have adequate security. But he's a human being. He's a grandpa. He's worried. And he shouldn't be. And he's about to move off the military. Hey, listen, he's going to be, he's got to drive up to McDonald's like everybody else. Who knows? There's all kinds of people who've engaged in public service uh, who feel like they're under threat right now. And uh, the chilling impact that has on anybody else out there who might be thinking of going into public service, I mean, the, the ripple effects of that over time are... Yeah, especially for someone who has served the nation the way General Milley has. Scott Jennings, Van Jones, thank you both for joining tonight. There is little, almost really no time left to avoid a government shutdown. And it, of course, would have very real consequences for Americans. We're going to speak to a Republican congressman about what is happening inside the dome that you see there next. Three days. That is how long until congressional dysfunction could upend millions of American lives with a government shutdown. It would mean men and women in the U.S. military putting their lives on the line without getting paid. Same for Border Patrol agents tasked with dealing with an ongoing surge of migrants on the border. Also, people still recovering from disasters, like in Hawaii, could have to wait longer to get the help that they need. And more than 1,000 badly needed air traffic controllers could be furloughed. It could also mean those proactive food safety inspections aren't happening. Of note, tonight, members of Congress will still get paid. The ripple effects of this are also being felt in other areas, even, for example, the 99th 99th birthday celebration for Jimmy Carter. It has been moved up to Saturday, a day early, because if there is a shutdown, it would actually close parts of his presidential library. I'm joined tonight by Colorado Republican Congressman Ken Buck. Congressman, thank you for joining us from Capitol Hill. I mean, as you know, there are just days left before the government runs out of funding. The last we checked, our reporting is that Speaker McCarthy's latest bill still does not have even the Republican votes that it needs. Is it clear to you tonight what his plan is? It's not clear. Uh, What I do know is that this is more of the same type of theater that we've seen in the past. When we had a debt ceiling problem, uh, we ran it right up until the end, and then we spent too much money. I anticipate that we will do the same thing here. We will uh, run it right up until the end. We may uh, uh, shut down for a few days, um, and then a bill will come to the floor that has uh, too much spending in it. Um, it will get Democrat votes. It'll get a lot of Republican votes. It'll pass. People will feel relieved that we're no longer shut down. The reality is people should be more upset that we've spent too much money. So you think a shutdown is inevitable at this point? Um, I think it is likely. I, I don't know that it's inevitable, but I, I, whatever word you used, but I do think it's likely. And it sounds like you think nothing will be gained from it ultimately for your party. 
Oh, no, absolutely not. And, and it's really part of the same pattern that we've seen for the last 27 years. We have not passed 12 appropriations bills in the House and the Senate for 27 years in a row. And everybody makes it sound like this is such a surprise. We've actually known that September 30th is the same day on the calendar, uh, and it has been for years. And so we know when that day is coming, and, and we do nothing to anticipate it. Obviously, politics are at play here. It's Capitol Hill. You know that better than me. But is it clear to you why Speaker McCarthy is coming out? He's blaming President Biden. He's blaming the Senate when when it's House Republicans who can't agree and can hardly pass anything. Well, there's a lot of finger pointing going on. President Biden has blamed Republicans for what's going on at the border. Um, uh, Kevin McCarthy has blamed Democrats for what's going on with with spending. Uh, The truth is that there is a bipartisan bankruptcy going on right now. We spend too much money. We've got to find a way to reduce that spending. Um, But no, uh, we we should have had a plan. We should have been working on appropriations bills and passing them in June and July before we took our August recess. So we came back in September, things would be ready to go. You said you think a shutdown is likely. You didn't want to say inevitable. Your Republican colleague, uh, Congressman Ralph Norman, noted today government workers will continue to get paid. But I mean, really, they'll just get back pay. They won't actually get a current paycheck if the shutdown goes on. As you know, the majority of this people, the, the people in this country live paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. I mean, is that a comment of someone who understands what the consequences of a government shutdown would actually be? Yeah, so, Caitlin, what happens is uh, government workers will get a paycheck on September 30th. Since that happens on a weekend, they'll actually get that uh, direct deposit to their bank account this Friday. So they will be good for two weeks until the next uh, check is due on the 15th of the month. And, and so in that case, uh, they will be paid while they are working. Now, that's not ideal. I'm not excusing uh, the behavior of Congress for not passing these bills, but uh, we're not talking about people who are living paycheck to paycheck that can't make ends meet during that time period. They will be whole for a period of of, of 10 days, 14 days. The key is to make sure that if we do have a shutdown, it only lasts a few days so that those workers don't get hurt uh, in the long run. Yeah, but if you're those workers and you're watching what's been happening on Capitol Hill, that's not really reassuring that I got two more weeks of my my paycheck in my bank account, but who knows what's going to happen after that? Absolutely. It's not reassuring. And I don't mean to suggest that uh, this body is anything but dysfunctional. I I do want to make sure that we get things done. Hopefully we don't have a shutdown. If we do, uh, it is short lived and we get people back to work and back to their families with some security. You've said that you believe Speaker McCarthy needs to accept responsibility. At this point, would you support a motion to remove McCarthy from his role, from his job, if he doesn't and can't lead the conference through this? I am not supporting that at this point. I don't know who else there is. This is one of the most miserable jobs in America, uh, trying to take 434 other egos and and, uh, bring them together to find 218 votes is not easy. Uh, I don't uh, relish the opportunity to see anybody else in that position. I think Kevin is doing his best to manage a very difficult situation. I think it could have been managed better, but I still think that uh, there uh, is a need to maintain continuity and leadership uh, through this year so that we see that uh, we we can pass bills, we can get this uh, government funded, we're sending the right message to our adversaries in Russia and China, and and we are not backing down from the, the challenges that we have in this country on the border and in other ways. A noted voice of support saying, you know, that is a question. Who else could get 218? Congressman, one other aspect of this is my colleagues Melanie Zanona and Andy Greyer are reporting tonight that House Republicans are apparently planning on moving ahead with their impeachment inquiry, which formally starts tomorrow, even in the event 
of a government shutdown. Is that a good look for your party? I, I disagreed with the idea of, of uh, walking through an impeachment inquiry at this point. We have three committees that are doing great work looking at Hunter Biden's activities, seeing if there's a nexus to Joe Biden's activities. I don't like calling an impeachment inquiry. It is, a, it is oversight. It's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but no, I think that uh, our focus, our sole focus should be on uh, this funding issue. Uh, we should make sure that we're funded through the next fiscal year. Um, and at that point, once we are funded, and it won't be with a continuing resolution, it will be with a larger bill. But once we are funded, then let's get back to our oversight and make sure that we're doing uh, the job that the people expect us to do. Republican Congressman Ken Buck, a lot going on in those hallways behind you. Thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. Maybe not a lot going on, I guess I should say. <laughs> we'll see where it goes from here. Congressman, thank you. Meanwhile tonight, a rare diplomatic win between the United States and North Korea. Kim Jong-un has released a U.S. soldier who sprinted into his country on purpose. He is now on his way home back to the U.S., but many questions still remain tonight. More on that story next. Tonight, an American soldier on a flight back to the U.S. after he spent 10 weeks in North Korean custody. You'll remember back in July, this news, Army Private Travis King ran from a tour of the demilitarized zone directly into North Korea. Suddenly today, North Korean state media announced it was expelling him from the country. King was taken by a Swedish convoy across the Friendship Bridge to China, where he was then handed over to U.S. government officials, ultimately brought back to an Air Force base in South Korea. He's now on his way to the U.S. Joining me tonight is Sumi Terry, who analyzed Korean issues for the CIA and for the Bush and Obama administrations. I think when this news was announced so abruptly this morning, the question is, why? Why did they let him go? I mean, we all remember what happened with Otto Warmbier and that struggle. Why do you think this happened? Well, hopefully North Korea learned a lesson from Otto Warmbier's sad situation. But I suspect that North Koreans, after having debriefed and and interrogated Travis King for a few months. At the end of the day, thought he didn't really provide intelligence value or any more propaganda value. And you know, there's a cost for North Koreans to keep someone like him, right? You have to provide guards, translators, feed him. So they probably thought it was more of a trouble to keep him than, you know, let him go. Yeah, and I'm also, I mean, his case was a bizarre one given he wasn't someone who was, you know, Otto Warmbier had been captured. He wasn't someone who was captured. He willingly ran across the demilitarized zone into North Korea. But at the larger picture of what this means, that North Korea, seemingly from what we know, did not ask for anything. They didn't try to leverage him with the U.S. to get anything in return. What does that say to you about where North Korea is, how they're looking at the U.S., and how they're looking at a China and a Russia, maybe looking more to them than they so were So that's before. a really interesting point because, as you know, in the past, North Koreans at least tried to negotiate, make this into a big drama, have some high-level American official go and get an American out. They didn't even try to do that. And this just follows Kim Jong-un's meeting with Putin, mm -hmm. the two James Bond villains uh, meeting in Vladivostok, talking about potential arms deal. So I feel like North Koreans are saying, we don't even want to get there with Americans anymore. There's a complete impasse with the U.S. There's complete, you know, there's no talks on nuclear weapons anymore since the collapse of the Hanoi summit. Now they are saying, we have moved on. We have, we're now dealing with Russia, dealing with China, and we don't need to deal with the United States. Do you think that is a, is that a Biden thing or is that a longstanding, no matter who is the next U.S. president, that that is going to be kind of their approach? 
I think they tried it with President Trump and after the failure of the Hanoi summit, which is really significant in terms of psychological impact on Kim Jong-un. And I think basically he's saying, we're not going to deal with the Biden administration. We're not going to deal with the United States. They're going to focus on expanding, diversifying, modernizing, perfecting their nuclear weapons program, and that's it. Now, it might be all different, you know, a year from now when we, if, if the U.S. has a different administration, but for now, North Korea is not interested in having talks with the United States. Yeah, and, and yeah, they won't even pick up the phone at yeah. all. I mean, that's no. what officials, we check in regularly. Have they, has anything changed? They say no. And I think what was so interesting, you mentioned the Kim Jong-un Putin summit is, you know, before Russia had kind of treated North Korea as this maybe annoying little brother, if I can put it in, in regular terms, but they needed something from them. That's what was different in this meeting. Needed artillery and whatnot for its weapon in Ukraine, for its war in Ukraine. Well, it's a complete role reversal. As you said, North Korea is supposed to be a patron. It gives things to North Korea. What, how pathetic it is that Putin has now go to Kim Jong-un, the world's most isolated and despised leader or dictator, to say, we need your artillery, we need your ammunition. So it is a role reversal. They do need each other. They are two world's most isolated leaders, and they can give each other things that they need. Yeah. Fascinating to see what something like this release means, uh, obviously, for the geopolitical standing. Sumi Terry, thank you for coming in and for joining me tonight. Thanks. A new attempt tonight by, for a comeback by the quarterback Colin Kaepernick is underway. He has been out of the job for years after taking a knee during the national anthem, of course. Will the New York Jets now take him up on his Hail Mary play? We'll tell you what it was next. The New York Jets need help, and tonight Colin Kaepernick is offering his services. The former 49ers quarterback has not played in a game since 2016. Of course, that was when he refused to stand for the national anthem in protest of police brutality. He later became a free agent after that season ended, and now tonight he is pitching himself as an option as a quarterback for the Jets' practice squad. There's some head shaking happening in here. Of course, this is coming after the team lost Aaron Rodgers to a season-ending Achilles tear in Game 1. In his letter, Kaepernick told the Jets, quote, I know that there are currently depth issues, and I've heard that the backup spot is likely to be filled by a veteran quarterback. As much as I would love the opportunity to fill that spot, I would also be honored and extremely grateful for the opportunity to come in and lead the practice squad. For more on this, I am joined now by Carrie Champion, host of the Carrie Champion Show, on Prime Video, I mean, what are you? What do you make of this this letter and the chances of whether or not this could actually happen? You know, the letter I think was interesting. There are so many. There are so many. Two things can be true. Moments. Um, Colin Kaepernick, when he left the NFL in 2016, I do believe because I covered the story day in and day out. I do believe he thought he'd have an opportunity to come back and play. If we put a quick timeline together, we know he sued a few years after and settled uh, with the league. You don't get opportunities to sue your employer and then come back and work for them. It's just rare. And yes, I do believe he was blackballed. Yes, I think it's unfair, and I think he paid a heavy price because he was what I'd like to call an accidental activist. However, these are the facts. And I won't, I won't even say, Caitlin, that it's a business decision. I think at this point in time, um, Colin would be a distraction for any team. And I don't think they want that. They don't want to answer the questions, even if he was on 
on the practice squad. And it's so unfortunate because imagine someone telling you in the profession that you do so very well every single night, and I watch you, telling you that you can't do what you love. You can't hold people accountable. You can't use your voice to make a change. It would be painful. And I think he is really... Um, late in realizing this opportunity just probably will pass him by. He no longer can do the thing that he loves so very much at the highest level. And I believe that that is an injustice in itself. Yeah, I mean, he had, he had been expressing interest in returning. I mean, he worked out with the Raiders last May. He never signed. I know his team has previously said they contact all NFL teams every single year. Do you think this is the end of the road for him uh, with this with this outreach to the Jets? I, I think... Him asking to be on a practice squad, right? Here are the here are the facts that I do know. He asked to be on a practice squad. Um, they did not put him on the squad, but they did still sign a veteran quarterback who only had significant, he's been playing here and there, but significant play in 2017 in Trevor Simeon. It's very clear that they just can't take that risk. And I think the risk for them isn't the bottom line, as some would say. It's the fact that they feel like Colin would be a distraction in the locker room. Um, and unfortunately, in this society, being the first is very difficult. He's the very first to stand up in the way in which he did. And so that cost him a lot so that others can come behind him and perhaps make noise. But it's unfortunate. He's not. I don't believe he will ever play football again. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's got to be a hard thing to reckon with when, of course, it's, it's been your whole life. I mean, we've seen other athletes struggle with that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is someone who is dealing with that for yeah. a very different reason. Yes. But uh, one thing, I mean, on a lighter note that the Jets, I mean, this yeah. has been something that has just been every single day talked about. Everyone's been talking about it, certainly here at CNN. The Jets are going to get a lot of attention on Sunday night because they are playing the Chiefs. And we are now told that Taylor Swift is expected to be at that game, <laughs> continuing this phenomenon that has been playing out with the Kelsey brothers. And actually, it was addressed for the first time on their podcast today. Here's what they said. Okay. How's it feel that uh, Taylor Swift has finally put you on the map? <laughs> Shout out to Taylor for uh, for pulling up. That was pretty ballsy. That was pretty ballsy. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I just thought it was awesome how everybody in the suite had nothing but great things to say about her. I mean, this has rocked the NFL world like <laughs> few things have. I mean, what do you make of of the Taylor Swift effect that we're seeing play out? Well. Caitlin, while we're on the show, I love that we can do this hard turn. We go from Colin Kaepernick to Taylor Swift. But it's okay. We can do it because we're, we're stringing along the Jets here in the process. Um, I do <laughs> believe that we're all fascinated. I talked about this the other night. It's the human condition. The reality is, is now they have these photos. TMZ has these photos of them hanging out that night, and they look very cozy. For some of us, we thought it was a publicity stunt, and she was just doing it to do it. Now we're hearing that they've hung out before. And I think, you know what this is? Adult dating and we're just fascinated because of who she is and how she lives her life. She normally, as we know, keeps things very under wraps. For us to, to do the challenge of, I've never heard of Travis Kelsey. I don't know if you've seen that challenge going around on social yeah. media. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you saw it. I knew you did. <laughs> Travis Kelsey is a star in his own right. And the fact that she's here and enjoying every moment of it, I find it interesting. She has an effect. We can see his social media followers. Followers went up. The game that she attended was the most watched on Sunday night. His jersey sales were up 400%. All I want to know is if Taylor wants to be my friend when I come to New York and hang out with you, if she wants to do a paparazzi walk and help me gain some social media followers, so be it. But I think it's fun and I think it's light and we need this sometimes in society. We really do. I totally agree. And you know what I loved? And I don't 
this isn't confirmed, so I'll just make sure that make that clear. But someone <laughs> posted a picture of what were her notes about, you know, who were the best players on the team, you know, what did certain plays mean. I thought it was great. Maybe we should take her to an Alabama game sometime. We'll see. I think. Oh, look at you! You're you're like we could use it at Alabama. <laughs> we can use that kind of help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm with it. Um, Caitlin, <laughs> thank you for even acknowledging the fact that you are a diehard Alabama fan. Sorry about your season thus far, but you're okay though, right? Hey, hey, our second half against Ole Miss looked pretty good. So honestly, <laughs> we're all. I'm ignoring every other, you know, 120 minutes of play. I'm just focusing on that second half. <laughs> you guys have had an embarrassment of riches for years so it's still great no complaints there i understand go time roll Carrie time. champion as always thank you can't wait to see you in person of course caitlin have a good one good night and all of this football talk brings us tonight to one of our mvps here at cnn the biggest buffalo bills fan on the planet the one and only wolf blitzer he was honored tonight we'll cheer him on we'll tell you why next And tonight, we would like to take a moment to celebrate our friend, the one and only Wolf Blitzer. Tonight, Wolf received one of TV's highest honors, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Wolf is an absolute legend here in the halls at CNN. For 33 years, he has been the voice and the face of the most important stories. He's interviewed eight U.S. presidents, countless foreign leaders, and has been on the ground in some of the most precarious corners of the world. But more important than his professional accomplishments, and there are many, his show has been on the air for 18 years now, Wolf is also a wonderful mentor and a dear friend. When I started at CNN, he gave me advice on how to cover the White House. Somehow, we both wore the same tan trench coat at one point in our years. Just last week, he was on the phone helping me prepare for an interview with the Israeli Prime Minister. He is an absolute gem to cover the news with, to learn from, and to work with. And our congratulations to Wolf tonight. No one deserves this more than him. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight for this very busy night. The news continues right now with CNN Primetime with Abby Phillip.